This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is J.H. Baker, the former president of Coles. Mr. Baker, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Now, you joined Coles as the president in 1986. That's correct. We did a leverage buyout in 1986, and there were three partners, uh, Bill Kellogg, John Hermer, and myself. Exactly. Along with financial partners, naturally. Exactly. <laughs> but could you tell us a little bit about your career in retail before that and how it prepared you for leadership at Coles? Okay. Uh, I graduated from the Wharton School and went into the Army, and after that I got out and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I took a couple aptitude tests, and everything kind of pointed toward retailing. And it's very funny. My mother had a millinery store, so when I was a young boy, I used to take cash and, and, and bring up hats from the basement and stuff. So maybe that's where I got started, but I'm not sure that's true. But, but at least I, I have in my bones. And so uh, I started a Macy training program and uh, worked my way up and stayed about nine years at Macy's and did kind of everything. And I look back, and it was probably the best thing because I had every type of job. I worked in the stores. I worked on the floor. I worked in the stock room. I was a buyer. I was in store management. So I really had the opportunity. I learned a lot, and it really helped me in my whole career. Even though in those days you moved a little slower, everybody likes to get promoted faster, but there weren't as many openings, so people didn't leave so rapidly, so it took a while to get there, but, but I had great training. After that, I went to a store named Orbach's, and sometimes you get a break in life. I went in as the administrative assistant to the president. It was a gentleman called Bob Suslow. And he became my mentor. And sometimes you're very lucky that you have somebody that really takes an interest in you. And you work very hard for him, and, but you learn so much from him. And uh, I learned probably in the six months, it was incredible about merchandising and dealing with people and stuff. And then I became a merchandise manager. And I had three different areas. I had uh, started with dresses and juniors and uh, sportswear. And then Bob went to Famous Bar in St. Louis. That time it was a May Company store. Today it's all Macy's because Macy's bought. But at that time it was the premier store in St. Louis and probably still is, but it's under Macy's. And I became a general merchandise manager and uh, did that for a few years. And then Bob became president of Saks Fifth Avenue and I came back to my home, New York. I mean, I did follow him around. And my first job there, which was really interesting, I was the first director of stores at Saks. Before, it used to report to the chairman, and it wasn't really set up. It was they'd have a you know, meeting once a year. They'd do the reviews, but that was it. And we actually regionalized Saks, and that's what they are today. It's uh, regionalized, and, and uh, what we did in 1977 exists today at Saks and, and most retailers. So that was, that was quite an accomplishment, and uh, it was a little frustrating at times because none of them were involved in merchandising, and I'm a merchant. Uh, but we helped with that, too. We got merchants into the stores. Then I wanted to get back in merchandising, so I became a general merchandise manager, and I had sportswear, cosmetics, and juniors. 
I don't want to say it's the glory is only of Sachs. I mean, I, I would imagine Sachs will be good today. But we had incredible talent, uh, people, a whole group of us that became presidents and chairmen of companies. And we just were picking up 20% a day. And uh, it was, it was a, a phenomenal fun time to be there. And, you know, we had people like Roger Farah, who's also a Wharton graduate, who's went on to become president of Ralph Lauren and now uh, Tory Birch and other jobs. And, and Bert Tansky had a Neiman's, Arthur Martinez had a Sears, and on and on. We all worked together. So it was like uh, really a phenomenal thing. Then Bob uh, took over as head of Battis, the, the whole retail division. I went in to work in corporate, which is not what I wanted to do. So then I went and worked and became a head of especially store division and also the corporate buying. And then in 1986, uh, Battis decided they wanted to divest themselves of retailing. They're basically a tobacco company and, and uh, British American tobacco uh, in, in England and the U.S. part, that's how it's Battis, uh, was in Louisville, Kentucky. And so at the time, um, the only thing they kept was uh, Saks, Marshall, Fields, and Thimbles. One of the th I think they kept that because I had a three-year contract. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to pay me out. I, it's funny. But I had like 400 people reporting to me at the uh, corporate buying office, and they were all going to be uh, let go. And it was a strange uh, – what happened was very strange. They called us in on a Sunday. Somehow Women's Wear Daily got the news that they were going to do this. But they never told any of us. So they had to make the announcement Sunday. Then we had to go in front of our people on Monday and tell them this was happening before they read it in the newspaper. But there was no severance set up yet. You know, they had nothing arranged. So it's funny. I went to my boss who ran Battis uh, uh, Retail, who was also fired, Arnold Harrison. <laughs> and, and, and I said, I'm not going to fire anybody. I can keep anybody on who's essential. I'm just going to get them jobs. He said, do whatever you have to do. And it took me six or seven months, but I got 98% of them jobs. And so it's probably one of the best things I've done. It was a very you know, tough thing to have to do that. And then I knew I had to leave there because I saw the handwriting on the wall. And in a, another year, they had sold Saks, Marshall Fields had been bought by Dayton Hudson, and Thimbles was closed. So they got out of retailing. So I had three job offers. One my wife, you know, thought was pretty exciting to be head of Ferragamo USA. But uh, I'm not a big, tall, great-looking Italian, and so I don't think they were going to make me a partner. <laughs> and then uh, I called Bob Suslow again, you know, and just asked his advice because he knew all three companies. He said, just wait a minute. And that's when Bill Kellogg, who became my partner and who I had known since 1977, we had been friends. And, and that's – they were saving the third partnership for me. But I had to be kind of released from my contract from Battis because Battis was staying in as a partner also. When, when we bought the company from them, they kept a stake in it. And so I had to go, and his gentleman's name was Hank Fagoni. He's the one that fired all of us. And I, I had to have dinner with him. And we talked about, his, his, about what he's done in his life and everything. And then at the end, I said, Hank, I got great news for you. I'm going to be your partner. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to be a big partner in Coles. You're a partner in Coles. We'll work together. He says, you're under contract to us. You can't do that. So I remember saying to him, because he wasn't my friend, I said, well, you can have me as a great partner or I'm going to work as hard as I can one of these other jobs as a tough competitor. You have your choice. And I left. <laughs> 
and Bob called and Bill called and I called. What happened is he got a little pound of flesh. We bought the company in September and I couldn't start till October, you know. <laughs> so that's uh, how it happened. And at that time, Kohl's was 39 stores right. uh, doing about $280 million and losing money. Something had happened at Kohl's. It kind of started out as a value department store. But then because Gimbel's was a competitor and owned also by Battis, Gimbel's Milwaukee, they decided they brought somebody in from Target to make it a mini Target. Well, you know, you don't need a mini Target. So fortunately, actually, as it turned out for us, we had Kohl's had a couple of bad years, you know, a year and a half of bad sales and profits down. So nobody wanted to buy us. So we were able to buy it. At a relatively good price, and then Batter stayed in as a partner. So if I could ask a quick question. Yes. What was your assessment of what needed to be done to, to fix the problem at Kohl's? Uh, what was the uh, situation in retail in the 1980s, and where did you see the upside for growth? Well, you know, there was a company called Mervyn's. Did you know that company? It was owned by, uh, well, it was a separate company, and Dayton Hudson bought it along when they had Target and both. And Mervyn's was this value department, so it was about a $4 billion company. And it was kind of what we aspired to, you know, uh, hoping we could do better, naturally. But, but you know, of giving great brands at great prices, uh, having a low-cost structure, and so that we could do all these things and having a simplistic shopping environment. So we had talked about that because I had known Coles for quite a few years, and that's what it had been, and then it had lost that. So when we walked in, it was got a lot of problems, but we realized that we had to change the merchandising, get back to what, well, better than what we were, but really get these great brands. We had things because we were, um, you know, like a mini Target, you know, we had food, you know, we had big candy departments, we sold tobacco, you know, all things that didn't fit into anything we did. So we had to really do a kind of a total changing back to the merchandising that we were, but of course, take it to a new level. Now, we had a guy, it was funny, Walter Levy Associates, who we had known for years, he, and, and he, was, he was a guy who could advise you and things, and we'd used him at Saks and other places. And we told him what we thought. You know, we came up with our plan. Let's get an outside guy to look at it. Right. And, you know, they always want to tweak it, but they said, sounds great because it was a great need for a niche for a value department store, and that's what we were. Some people call us a discount store, but we were not. I fought that very hard. And, of course, we were a department store, just, you know, we had checkout lanes. We used the carts because that came from uh, Kohl's was basically a supermarket chain. So there's this low-cost culture, which helped me as the merchant because, you know, I could give great value to our customer. Our cost structure was lower than our competition. That was a big edge to have. What was your strategy to take Kohl's from a regional chain to a national one? How, how did you go about Well, I think the first strategy? thing we did was fix it, right? First thing we had to do was fix Kohl's. And we were fortunate. A couple of things happened that, that were very fortunate for us. You know, there is some luck in life. 
I have to admit, though, we worked eight days a week. <laughs> you know, it didn't that's come easy. You know, so good. that's retailing, but, uh, yeah. but true. But what happened is Gimbel's went out of business, which was our main competitor. It was Gimbel's and, and, and uh, Bergner's at the time. So you lost one of your big competitors, and most of our stores were in Wisconsin. So we were without a comp- one of our competitors. So that helped us a lot. And the other competitor wasn't the toughest store to compete against. I hope I don't insult anybody. And then, uh, so that was one thing. At the same time, when Gimbel's went out of business, we knew all the good people there because they were part of Battis. So we got some excellent merchants and store people. Then a year later, Marshall Fields was uh, combined with, uh, with Dayton Hudson, and we got a lot of great people from there. Within that same year, Mervyn's had a Texas operation, but it wasn't doing well, and they closed it. So we got people from there. So in a very short time, we got people from Gimbel's, from Marshall Fields, and from Mervyn's to this little store in Milwaukee called Coles. And that was a real break. So we went from pretty f- low talent to terrific talent in a very short time. And then we came up with what we thought, what we wanted Coles to be, this value department store offering great brands at great prices and uh, came up with a racetrack uh, look of a store, meaning you walked in and just walked around in a circle and every department had frontage. And, and what made us different in a way is that in most department stores, you might find sportswear in three locations, four locations. Sportswear, one location, men's one location, juniors, one location, children's one location, accessories in the middle. So it was ease of shopping. And we also built, we had stores that intercepted the malls. So you got people there, in and out, and going home. And, you know, so made it easy for them. And we did a lot of advertising, okay? And, and, and that was something. Our advertising in the past was not very good. So we got new people in that whole department, we revamped it and came up with, you know, an advertising look that was exciting, key items and depth. And, and then we had a merchandising philosophy. We saw, I mean, I spent my whole life in, in department stores. And two of the big weaknesses in those days is that they were never in stock on basics. And when you had ad goods, you ran out of ad goods or didn't have them. And you would frustrate people all the time. So one of the things we came up with that we said we'd be 90% in stock on basics and, you know, we put in systems and we did a good job of that. And you funded it and you, and you did it. And when you did ad goods, you advertised out of your assortment. So it wasn't like we brought in special purchases. We advertised what we owned out of our assortments, and buyers knew if they didn't have ad goods, they'd be in my office Monday morning. And they didn't want to be in my office Monday morning. I wasn't as pleasant when, when you didn't have ad goods. And so realizing how important it was, and also that we made sure our prices were sharp and that people didn't undersell us because we could beat their prices if we had to, and, 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 and we, because of our cost structure. So then uh, in two years, which is amazing, we paid off our debt. One of our big partners were the Simons, you know, the Simon Malls, which are the biggest yeah. people mm-hmm. today. And they were our partners because they had like seven or eight of our stores, and that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. And so 
Main Street, do you remember when Federated went into bankruptcy? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the companies they had, one of the small companies called Main Street, and they were in Chicago, Detroit, and Minneapolis. And this is exactly where the Simon said we should be going. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had stores similar to ours, but much better locations. Federated was very powerful. And it was our concept of merchandising, you know, value, price, but they didn't understand the low-cost culture. So they had kind of de the department store expenses. So they didn't make any money. They lost money because they have lower prices and higher expenses. Right. And, but we had the chance to buy them and buy them at a very good price because nobody really wanted them. But we had to vote on it, and Baddest, because they still had Marshall Fields at the time, uh, didn't want to give us, you know, real estate in, in Chicago. But between the Simons and us, we were able to—we had over 50 percent, and we bought it. Brought Morgan Stanley in as a partner, and we had slightly the majority. Wouldn't give them the majority. We said the three of us want to have that because we're running it. And that's how the new partnership happened. And to your question, then uh, we were starting, you know, we had debt again, but in a couple of years we went public. And then the reason we went public is so we could expand and we could start to grow and we'd have the money. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.